Welcome and happy Friday. It's September 9th, 2016, and this is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here with Laura Redman, who's our Deputy Digital Director, Sebastian Modak, who's an Associate Editor for us, and we have a special guest today, Neil Fox. He's the founder of Based on a True Story. He's with us via Skype, in case there's any strangeness with the audio there. And then we got to welcome back Brett, Brett, our engineer and our magician of an editor. Nice to have you again. I hope you had a great summer, Brett. He's been working on the podcast behind the scenes, so he was never truly gone, but he hasn't been with us for a while. So let's get right into it. This is the first of a four-part series that we're doing. We haven't decided on a title. It's either crazy travel jobs or travel jobs we can't believe exist and wish we could have. (laughs) Um, And we have pretty good jobs, so these are really good jobs. And Neil is the first of these. Neil, why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about what Based on a True Story is, what you guys do. Hi there, yes. And greetings from uh, the west coast of Ireland, where I've just come to some large landscapes and big horizons to sort of think a bit uh, big because we've got some big projects on at the moment but no we uh, we we create extraordinary experiences we work all over the world pole to pole we've never repeated a trip we believe that everybody should have stories uh, should have step into new incredible life experiences we're an experiential travel business i think we're we're in the business if it was an elevator pitch, one stop, I think I'd probably say we're in the business of fun as opposed to a conventional travel business. So you plan trips, and these trips are above and beyond the typical, you know, seven, ten-day vacation. Would you mind talking us through one of the more, you know, fun ones, so to speak? I think we create, I think it's more journeys is a word that works quite well, actually. You know, we're not really about hotels and the concept of flying a long way to it to stay within the walls uh, of a hotel. We're we're really about trying to get into the very, very essence of a place. Uh, We work within the sort of realms of what we call um, pure reality, uh, which is an adventure or an expedition, if you like. And what we're trying to do is to set things up or to create catalysts which make you feel like you're experiencing a place, experiencing a place like no other before you. And then we work in the sort of realms of what we call thrilling fantasy. And we do quite a lot of stuff that is kind of family-based, particularly for kids, but it can be for adults as well, where it's taking on another whole level of creativity. And that can be overcoming or helping out mythological legendary beings. Uh, it can be save, helping the gods of Greece to overcome crisis. It can become... It can become something if you've seen a film like The Game, uh, where you really step into a, a real adventure with twists and turns, and uh, you know you can change continents several times on the duration <laughs> of the trip. So, do um, you we, deal so, with Zeus then? I mean, how how does that work? How do we deal with mythological creatures and people? Uh, Zeus, yeah, yeah, he's actually <laughs> quite a good friend of ours. Yeah, we've <laughs> we've had a few run-ins with uh, with Zeus. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we had a family a, a couple of years ago who were invited by the gods of Greece because um, the country was in crisis, uh, not just financially, but um, the European powers were potentially going to seize the gold of Greece. And if they did that, the mythological gods would lose their immortality, or at least conceptually as we had it. And uh, they, um, the gods were in crisis. They were meeting on top of a mountain and they sent Hermes actually on behalf of Zeus to track down the... Um, these four young children who they thought could potentially help out. Now, we design a logo for every trip we do. This particular logo kind of embodied the four individuals and um, had a sort of quest feel about it. And, um, yeah, actually, on that particular trip, Hermes turned up at the Olympic opening ceremony of the Olympic Games (laughs) and uh, 
he was a big long beard and sort of white robes and yeah sort of quite unusually sort of had a sketch in his tunic and pulled it out and asked the uh, gentleman do you know this young man (laughs) (laughs) inner child is freaking out right now um Obviously, it's probably a very long, drawn-out, and complicated process, but where do these ideas come from? Are they from the clients? Are the clients saying, hey, my kids need a, you know, a big dose of imagination. Can you put something together? Or is it like, oh, we want to go on a Greek adventure. Can you put something together? Like, how specific are the asks, and how, how do you come up with the ideas? Yeah, yeah. So the, on that particular job, it was quite literally the launch of a new super yacht, and it, it, that's a very, very long story. This one, actually, we don't. I don't think you've got time for it. But <laughs> the, the the concept was quite. I mean, the brief was very, very straightforward. Actually, they wanted to have some fun. If the children were having fun, and the adults would be having fun, and they would needed to launch a new yacht. So they had a. They already had a super yacht. They were looking to launch a bigger one, and they wanted to do it in a clever way to say goodbye to the old yacht and say hello to the new yacht. They didn't specify any location, but the Mediterranean would be uh, preferred. And otherwise, we had total carte blanche. And we, to be honest, most briefs, we'd very rarely actually get a brief um, that really defines very much. In fact, mostly I'd say, actually, what we get is the dates. And hmm. we very often surprise completely. Do you get a budget? Or do you um, come back we, to them with that? We very rarely get a budget because people don't really seem to know what things are going to cost. So we will often come with, this is what we would like you to invest. We'd like you to invest this much. We could make things even better investing that much. And it, But if that's too much, you could invest something along these lines. So we, we're very, very modular. Very, things are very, very transparent. Just going back to the Greek Odyssey, just very, very quickly, because this is quite interesting and puts that concept into shape. They first had to become, the children were invited to become Sparta. Actually, it's an even longer story than that. They were, so they, they went to meet the gods. Um, Apollo threw down a lightning bolt, it exploded on the water, and we'd actually built this screen that was about 30 meters across of water, spraying water, which we then projected onto the back of that screen, a whole flashback scenario, because based on the Iliad and the Odyssey, Homer's versions, there were a lot of flashbacks in Greek mythology. So we had things going to and fro from the present to the past and to the future even, um, a story which set the whole thing into stone and gave a context for them to then go on and start this adventure. And um, a bit too long to go into all that, but they had to first become Spartans, the kids, and then they would get their um, their sort of robes, which then all mythological beings would respect. So they had to track down Menelaus and uh, Helene and the Spartans, which they did the next day. And then they went on from there to try and find uh, Medusa and they found lots and lots of stone bodies around this cave entrance and then they had to dive into this cave entrance and then they came out with this urn and written on the inside of the urn was this uh, the clues in Greek to be able to find Apollo and then uh, Apollo led them on to I think it was next on to the Minotaur. No, it wasn't. Sorry, it was the Apocalypse. <laughs> what was he called? Not the Apocalypse. Sorry, I just got Cyclops. a blank there. <laughs> Cyclops, that's him. Cyclops, one eye, yeah. He was in a cave and we had loads and loads of local people all morning because this uh, Cyclops had been eating all the children in the area or had been As they feasting do. on children. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so they had to overcome him and um, they gave him a, actually a golden apple that Odysseus had given them earlier. And then they went on and it sort of led them on to the, uh, the Minotaur, which they had to sing a little lullaby. And we, we did that in this old abandoned village where they, it was beautiful. Actually, all the kids were singing this little, little lullaby to keep him sleepy. And then they had to nick his satchel and another map led on. And there were lots of little details. like The, the shields that they, they were given when they were Spartans had the mirror inside, which would then enable them to look 
at the Medusa, Medusa without yeah. turning stone. Yeah, that's right. And then underneath that mirror, each child had a quadrant of map that they put the maps pieces together, and that gave them the full map to be able to know where to go on to next. I mean, dear God, do you have a classics professor working for you or like screenwriters or playwrights? I mean, that the detail is kind yeah. of astounding. Yeah. How do you staff something like that? It's um, like you're making well, a movie in real life. Yeah, like you, know, you, you made a movie. I, I've like, you know, if I were to count, I could probably count, you know, a thousand different points in that whole ordeal that could go wrong. How do you how like how do you do that? Who's behind <laughs> it? Well, what made this trip even more interesting was the individual, um, the client, there's no way that he could be seen around. So it was the middle of, I think it was the middle of July in Greece. And we managed to arrange for every single beach to be private, which um, was quite interesting because those <laughs> beaches would usually be, you know, rammed like yes. <laughs> sardines sure. in a can of yes. people laying around. So yes. we had to make everything private. So as far as the kids were concerned, they arrived in costume. All the family are in costume the entire time. Every single person that they encountered was either a mythological being or in costume. As far as they were concerned, Greece is this just magical place where everybody's getting around, you know, <laughs> several thousand years before. The creativity, I guess, largely comes from myself. We had also a, a guy who, we had a yacht running in tandem that had a whole crew of actors and actresses on it. They were running ahead, basically. And, and then we had people on the ground and you know, sort of tight core team. And then, you know, I'd say up to, well, in the hundreds potentially of actors, actresses and extras uh, to populate at any one time on that particular trip. We've done bigger ones than that, but wow. that, that one, uh, um, and they, sorry, just to rush forward as well, they, uh, they actually discovered a massive hoard of gold. They had to overcome the Scylla, who was breathing fire. And then they found a massive hoard of gold. They managed to get so much before the Scylla started to turn everything in, into this, massive fire river that came flowing down and they had to grab <laughs> grab gold including the urn which kind of formed the main centerpiece of the logo they managed to find that and then they knew that they'd found the concept of troy which is where all this gold was buried and that they could save greece so, <laughs> so. in a situation like that it seems as though timing would matter and timing is difficult to control when you've got kids involved and, you know, people are walking through. Some people know the script and other people don't know the script. The clients obviously don't know the script. Did you ever have an occasion on that or something else where, and how do you deal with eventualities like somebody took five minutes longer and you had to clear a beach where something was supposed to happen next? What do you, how do you sort of prepare for that kind of eventuality? Or even just the government getting involved. I, seemingly, like, how do you shut down Beaches. Yeah, I mean, is it the same sort of process as a filmmaker would go through? You know, are you like, are you going and securing permits to stage these things on beaches? You know, yeah, things like exactly, that? exactly, exactly that. Yeah, now we're making a lot of friends in the right places, and we're just there for fun. At the end of the day, we're employing a lot of people locally. Um, we're um, we're doing good things and we're good people so i think you can kind of work that sort of mentality that kind of approach into your core strategy and you can achieve a lot of things i mean we were i think we we're the first people to visit olympia exclusively and that hadn't been done before and it was a definite no-no but we managed to wiggle it in the end you know it's kind of that sort of approach I, you know i think a lot of people actually say very often you know how the hell do you do all this stuff i actually think more than anything it's just blind belief <laughs> and I do think if you can, if you can, if you really believe in something, you can make it happen. And um, I guess that's why we work a lot in sort of mythological circles. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking it back a little bit. Can you tell us how you got into this? How, where, where this, where these ideas came from? What were you doing before? I'd say all my early travel days were going into the unexpected. You know, that, that was what 
travel for me was all about. I used to fly out to somewhere and I'd come back a couple of years later, you know, no particular plan. And I did that. I used to work two years on, two years off. And that was kind of my, I felt like life owed me that much. Hmm. And these were not, you know, these weren't expensive undertakings. I would hitchhike around the world and uh, I'd run, <laughs> come back in rags. And then <laughs> I, I set up a, a design business in 92, a design and marketing business. And that somehow managed to keep me, um, and a very, very patient partner, managed to keep me uh, this sort of two years on, two years off, going for quite a lot of years until 2000, when I saw my way out of that business. And I got a map of the world out and looked at all the bits that I had not been to. And I came up with this idea to go natural power from my hometown in Yorkshire to Antarctica. Well, it was a small map. It took nearly three years, 37,000 k's on the bike. And I climbed you know, a lot of the big hills on the way, kayaked quite a lot, and I think 11 different sailing yachts altogether, and raised a lot of money for orphan kids en route. And um, yeah, uh, on that trip, sorry, go on. Were you by yourself for that whole trip? Uh, well, I actually set off with a girlfriend, but it didn't last very long. Okay. <laughs> oh, that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, it, um, yeah, it's a bit, it was a bit further than I think she anticipated, but it was a wonderful <laughs> thing. Every day was a magical day. I wild camped every night before, and I got some money. I just wanted to kind of get um, get back to my own reality, get back to basics. Basically, I'd, I didn't want to spend, I didn't want to spend another day living in a city. For me, that wasn't really where my life uh, life should be. And in fact, I'd actually spent, I set myself a challenge of. Working hard for five days, and the, and the two days, the weekend, I had to do something special. And I set myself a six-month challenge, and every um, every week was a special little project in itself. And I went six months without spending a weekend at home, and I thought, that's just so me. It, that needs to, it needs to continue. So I went two years, the final two years of living in a city. I didn't spend one week at, in, at home, and every little weekend was a magical adventure in itself. So, you know, I've been exploring, I, you know, Right from the very early days, I went to Tasmania when I was quite young to, to stay with relatives, and uh, things changed there for sure. I came back from that place, and uh, I was really connected with the wilderness and nature. But anyway, back to my cycle trip, I bumped into some individuals who just met some very, very wealthy individuals on a big yacht, and they needed some help. Uh, we helped those guys out, and that was my very first brush with, I guess, uh, high net worth, ultra high net worth people. And... Um, for me to take those people off the yacht, and it was a yacht in that case, uh, and take them to a place where they couldn't stay, they could, they only had a little bit of time before they had to get back, just didn't really make any sense to me. It was just very natural for me to try and create a, a kind of five-star scenario there, where they were, you know, totally comfortable. There was all the services. There was a butler. There was a private chef. There was a, a you know, incredible setting and an incredible place. And to try and keep these people actually there in in the zone, if you like, as opposed to just going in to the zone briefly, taking some photographs and getting having to go all the way out. I wanted to keep them there. And admittedly, back then, sort of 2003, there wasn't so many luxury lodges and things in, in, in nice places. So in those first few years, so the first trip we did was very, very successful in South America. And I went back to this individual and said, wherever you want to go in the world, we can take you. And, uh, you know, that was a, a multi, multi-billionaire. And uh, he became the first client. And um, we worked a business uh, from there. That was the, the first um, encounter, I guess, with ultra high net worth people. Mm -hmm. But coming at it from an expedition point of view, you know, it was so important to me that we were able to keep them in the place for as long as possible. And that would very often involve catalysts, because even though they... You know, a lot of these people are so busy that they get somewhere and then they're sort of messing around their phones uh, or they need some more Wi-Fi or, or something or other. And we would create catalysts just to make sure that they would 
be very comfortable in a very, very empowering environment so that they would have a chance for it to catch up and for it to become a really seminal moment for them. When they come to you, do they have specific goals in mind or do they just sort of say, create something for me? No, in fact, I've got some, <laughs> I've got some recommendations, but we're mostly word of mouth. We've very, very, been very, very lucky, really. But the individual, wherever they're from, will, will say, well, I've been told that we shouldn't really uh, stipulate anything, that we just got to let you surprises. But could we possibly have some beach? they're they're afraid to ask (laughs) yeah exactly yeah but you know everybody's different everything's different we get certainly some briefs that are incredibly specific and there are all these things that the the person needs i think what we're trying to do always is take people to the next level uh the the next level in their experiences in life and um it you know it's so different for everybody which is as i say why we've never ever uh, repeated anything and people are at different stages of their life all the time or they they need time with loved ones or they need time with friends or they want to get a few families together or they just really need to chill out or they've been chilling out, they really need some adventure, they need something. And it's that that's kind of the catalyst for us. And then we, we sort of conduct a fairly thorough um, sort of interview to be able to understand the likes and particularly the dislikes. And, um, and then we sort of start to get an idea of you know what we might like to do, and then and then we just get the map out the good old-fashioned way, really. Start to think about geography and the way that uh, things could work. Really, everybody is unique. I think everybody is unique. Everybody's going through unique moments in their lives, and and as a consequence, everything we've ever done is unique. We've not not even close to repeated anything twice. And um, it's you know, I think 13 years of business now. Uh, we've not even not even come close. How do you negotiate sort of the balance between challenging people and taking them out of their comfort zone and giving them something that they need that is that is more of a, a caretaking kind of thing when you're putting together a package? Yeah, so we have, um, and I, I don't like the word package, by the way. I don't, <laughs> that's the sort of antithesis well, of what we do. Well, an experience, Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, yeah, no, we, we have, we'll have yeah, plan A, plan B, plan C's. And um, I think we, and again, we don't really like to run things with itineraries. Uh, we much prefer sort of more natural. I mean, we've got a backbone itinerary that's an Excel masterpiece um, that uh, gives, uh, you know, from an operational point of view, all the all the detail that we need. But we want the clients to feel like they're really on their own adventure, going at their own pace. And, um, you know, it's our job because we're quite unique. I think we don't do any, we don't hardly any trips where one of us isn't there. So there is a chaperone guide who travels along from our, our one of our team. Um, that person is also a pro photographer, and that's a kind of PS. Um, that person will photograph everything. So uh, I mean, we use the word National Geo Standard. We do have, we do have some people who are National Geographic uh, accredited, but I'm just sort of to give the, give the sort of quality of the photography. We then produce a beautiful book, a stunning book at the end of it all that's leather bound. It's, it, it can weigh eight to ten kilos. You know, it's a very, very beautiful thing. It's all based on a true story, and it's their story. It's their, from their jet coming in to the jet departing. It's everything that went on in that, so that period long, of time in their lives. How long does that process take, typically? It sounds like it could be anywhere from six months to a year and a half, you know, um, from the interviews to the leather bound book. We like a couple of months, to be honest. That's a really nice piece of time to work things. And um, we get more time than that from time to time. We, uh, we'll get uh, six months, even a year of planning. And um, 
I think we've even had more than that, but we sometimes get a couple of weeks. We sometimes even get a week. And if we can work something, we will do. If we know the client very well, then we're in a good position to be able to try and make something happen. But yeah, two months is a really good, that's a good piece of time for us to be able to try and do what we need to do. So say I wanted a pirate ship for my trip. How long would that take? Yeah, I mean, actually, we've had an inquiry a little bit like this quite recently, actually. <laughs> uh, but um, to bring out the, a little bit of mischief in, in somebody, so the, the pirate ship is a yeah is a metaphor for i think probably needing something uh, in your life at that particular time and um but yeah i mean yeah i mean there's plenty of classic boats around and it depends on how far we take it how how much fun we're having or how theatrical it will be but i mean there are you know there are a number of yachts that kind of fit that pirate ship kind of concept it's the magic that we're then going to be able to produce on a backbone of that and you know the pirate ship could be for children and um lots of good fun and we've we've done trips before numerous actually um and one that i can think of which actually um started off in the in the sahara desert where the child had found a teapot or bought a teapot and in it was this in the spout was a message and it was written in spanish and i translated or pretended to translate in my my best spanish but i uh, obviously i'd actually written it but um <laughs> that um, there was a, a gentleman called Rashid Zabur, and if they could find him in the desert, he was holding a map which might lead to a compass of gold, which would bring success whichever direction you, you went with it. And, um, yeah, that, I mean, that trip actually, um, they, fa- they tracked this guy down after being on four-by-fours and camels and a hot air balloon. They went on a hot air balloon journey which to, to get over these sand dunes to be able to see, what, you know, it was a long, long journey to find this guy. And we landed and um, asked this gentleman and... <laughs> He produced this map. He said he'd been guarding this thing, and um, and there was a password. And when the child said the password, which was written on that little note from the teapot, he dropped to his knees and went blabbing away in Arabic and um, said that his father had died and said, keep this map safe and somebody will come one day. And when they do, the clouds will appear and the, the, uh, the, the, the rains will come and the desert will turn green and great fortune will come to our family and, and it will return this compass of gold back to where it should have gone. And um, that that trip actually changed continents. So we were in northern Africa, and it ended up going into into the Balearic Islands. And uh, they went on a real adventure, uh, which culminated on a beach with a massive, massive uh, fight between the Moors and Christians, so pirates. Of, wow. of, of, um, and um, yeah, I mean, it was there was an awful lot of cannons going off and all sorts of stuff. And the children eventually, uh, when everything had cleared. And the battle had fought its way <laughs> to its conclusion. They dug down beneath this tree and found this massive pot of gold coins and uh, and this compass of gold, which... Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like somebody... Uh, but, Please tell me that you have the instructions for clearing Ibiza uh, of, 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 of beaches. <laughs> clearing out yeah, all the nightclubs. Just golf season, It's uh, it works a wonder. But. <laughs> yeah, it's like stories like something out of Thousand and One Nights or something. It's amazing. I was looking on your site, and there's a lot of reference to reconnaissance. Are those trips that your team goes on prior to putting these together to pick the perfect locations? Can you talk about that kind of scouting process a little bit? Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on the investment. I mean, you've got to send one of us out there. We do everything on a complete budget. But it, for the real magical trips, we need to be there and to feel it all. It's on reconnaissance that ideas start to pop into your mind. One essential reconnaissance, I'll just give you some background on, um, you know, we went to Japan, and I've been to Japan many times before, but you're actually trying to live Japan through the eyes of a particular individual who you've got to know a little bit about, and it's uh, it's important that 
you know you know the sort of patience the tolerance uh, and 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 also the the needs and necessities that um, are just going to be kind of prerequisite through the whole flow of the trip so we're in tokyo we need to get to kyoto which is about two and a half hours on a bullet train now the gentleman in mind uh, the gentleman that we were uh, we were actually building part of his honeymoon for, or we did the whole honeymoon, but the, the Japan section was a particular part of that. There was no way he'd been on a train before. And the concept of putting somebody for two and a half hours on a train, while it sounds like quite a regular thing for most of us to do, is would be quite abstract for this particular gentleman, or at least we deemed that it probably would be. And on this whole trip, I needed some big impacts for presenting this 13th century samurai sword. And... Um, that has a long story, this one as well, sorry. But um, we, we actually got the guys from Kill Bill to kind of do a a, 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 a sort of bit of theatre to be a backdrop to present a, a beautiful sword, which would otherwise just been a kind of ornate sword that wouldn't have had kind of the same context. Although very, very important, it wouldn't really have. But back to my... Um, so to go from Tokyo to the airport, to fly in the jet to Osaka, which is the nearest airport, and then get by road to Kyoto would be much longer than taking the train. So I had two and a half hours on a train, I need to make this quite interesting. First of all, the, um, the Japanese didn't really get the concept of taking a train carriage exclusively. Uh, things are very different in Japan, but we actually just bought every single ticket for the, um, for the carriage, and that, that worked out. And that I bought works. them for half an hour before, half an hour afterwards, just in case we're a bit late. And uh, no, not much money, really, in the scheme of things. And then every time the train stopped, I wanted a different scenario to present itself. And <laughs> so we had ninjas storm the train at the first um, oh train station. And it was just hilarious. I mean, they, 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 they're oblivious to the two, to the, 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 the couple who are on their honeymoon. And then that sort of went on for about 20 minutes and the train pulled into the next uh, station. The, the ninjas chased themselves out. They, you know, they were kind of oblivious to the guests. They were just fighting away. They took off and then um, got these beautiful, beautiful gourmet bento boxes presented by these, you know, the gals with this kind of pop-up stockings and little skirts and uh, hair in braids and stuff. They were beautiful and presented these beautiful boxes. And then there were lots and lots of little intricate things in the way that the Japanese do so well in the box. That took care of a bit of time. And then the next station, they left. And then I had these great big massive blobby sort of costume, huge great bat sort of things came on board, which was so out there. And then we were in Kyoto and that was that. So <laughs> um, yeah, on that same honeymoon, just a very quick one, um, we were in the Maldives in an underwater restaurant and it's quite a nice, interesting place to be. There wasn't enough fish when I went there on reconnaissance, so we had to work on that. So I got these guys <laughs> feeding fish above. Um, and we, it was not that interesting. So I got all these, these sculptures made of, of manta rays and all sorts of things to enhance the place, the decor and everything, to get a bit more of a fishy feel to it all. <laughs> and, that, and then the main course is taking a little bit of time. So I, I went up to the couple and said, I'm sorry, did you guys order the fish as well? And they said, yep. And I said, I'm sorry, it's taking a little bit of time. Let me go see if I can speed it up. And I got this all arranged, but um, I leapt into the water with a spear gun with a great big snapper on it but, <laughs> and just tapped on the glass and said, sort of, this one. And it was, it was really good fun, yeah. But um, oh, as I say, we're, we're, we're in the business of fun. You know, you mentioned the ninjas on the train. What do you want the client to feel in that moment? Did you want them to feel like there's actually this thing happening? Or do you want them to think of it as theater? Theatre surprise, just just like what's going on here, you know. I, um, some wonderful things have happened to me in the past on, in my travels, and you know things just present themselves out right out of the blue. I, I used to hitch all in my early days, and you know you just get yourself into a scenario, nothing to compare with ninja storming a train, but it would come left of field, and you'd have a really really special experience. 
And uh, I think that's what it is, is that it's, you know, f for me, it was very, very simple was we needed to do something during those two and a half hours because it's not the sort of thing you could do with this particular couple is two and a half hours on a yeah. train. I, I, I didn't feel. Right. So we needed to do something. Let's have some fun. You know, and I've got a good idea that these guys like to have a bit of fun. Everyone likes to have a bit of fun anyway, really. They should do. So it was creating fun, fun scenarios. I mean, on that trip as well, I invited... Yeah, you know, we were going to go and see the, um, the, the, it was the final of one of the big sumo matches. Uh, it was going to be the number one and the number three. Now, that's really quite cool, sitting there and watching those guys, but kind of not cool enough. Can we do something better? Can we do something better than that? So I arranged for the number one and the number three to come and join us for dinner. Um, but, what I, but what I did was I, I took this really funny place where the guys are in the sort of center and they serve up food on big paddles. And it's, it's quite funny in, in itself already. You, you giggle a lot because they're very, very entertaining, these two guys. And you're on little seats. And I just thought how hilarious for these massive monster men to come and sort of prize themselves into between the clients on these little tiny seats in this really very funny scenario. And um, it was great. We had a real, really good night. We really got to know the the sumo guys so that when we went to see the sumo fight the next day everything was in you know it was in a really nice context last question you're doing 20 trips of these at least in the story that when we interviewed you you were saying you were doing yep. 20 of these how do you find time for your own travels now how do you sort of keep yourself satisfied with your own explorations with all that going on yeah, um, it just you work it around. You know, I usually get a few days at the end. I was just in. I mean, this year has been crazy. Um, uh, just to give you some idea, um, I think I started the year, started the year on a on a yacht in the Caribbean, a, a super yacht in the Caribbean. We were in Cuba, we were in Mexico, I think we we're in Costa Rica. Then went on back to. Um, I was actually based in Australia at that time. Back to Australia, then uh, meeting, meetings in the Middle East, then London, and then uh, flew to. Um, Buenos Aires, and then started a trip where we took um, some clients from the tip of South America to the top of South America over about four or five weeks. It was an epic. Um, we usually do about 10 days to, to two weeks uh, is a maximum, and then we get an, a new person comes in because we're generating a lot of photography. It becomes a very big job, and you don't always get to sleep too well. So I took the bottom part, and then I shot across to uh, New Zealand, where I got some other clients who were waiting, and uh, or not waiting, we were just about to arrive. I had a couple of days, and then I had a couple of days afterwards to answer your question in New Zealand, fly fishing, fantastic. Um, and then we were in Tasmania and parts of Australia, and then back from there, uh, went on to, where was next? Um, the... Well, I've just been in, I'm missing somewhere, <laughs> South Neil, America. I may oh, yeah, have sorry, to uh, quit my job and come work for you. Is that okay? Do you have any openings right now? Yeah, right. My boss is on this podcast right now. But. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in Polynesia and then, and then came back and then we've been in Europe and then I've just been in Iceland. Sorry, Italy. I was all over it. We, were, we took a gourmet trip through Italy, Italy that was loads of fun, really discovering the the true essence of the magic that goes into Italian cuisine. That was a couple of weeks long. And then I've just been in Iceland and we had uh, trolls and elves involved there. And that was loads and loads and loads and loads of fun, all based on the runes. And the, the clients were wearing a rune to give them luck. And it may sound like it's a, you know all aimed at kids. It isn't actually, because about 85% of Icelandic people believe in mythology and are quite superstitious. So it's actually a very integral part of their culture. So we had runes made that became pendants that would give the individual, uh, in this case, a group of individuals, um, some um, protection over each day and each facet of what they were going to be experiencing that day. 
So before we wrap up, I want to go around and see what the one experience you'd want Neil to put together for you would be. Oh, that's a good <laughs> question. Could. Neil, do you um, mind? <laughs> do you mind? Well, maybe we'll give you some sure. ideas. I'll start. I've, yeah, I've yeah, been thinking about this. So when I was a kid, I had this dream that I still remember. It's one of those you know, rare dreams that you remember for your whole life where I was riding a dragon dressed completely in full medieval plate armor <laughs> and singing Phantom of the Opera at the top of my lungs. <laughs> so I think that's kind of indicative of where my head was at as a child as well. But so if you could uh, just arrange that for me, Neil, that would be, that, that would be great. That would be my experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it. You, um, we, we actually are looking for some more um, planners. So you sound like you're, you're, you've got the right, right sort of imagination <laughs> for the job. Tap, tap into the <laughs> dragon right in the back. <laughs> Pull out the dragon. I love it. All right, you're yeah. up next, Brad. Me? I keep coming back to this. Like, I feel like, um, back to my own childhood, I felt like I used to get wrapped up in the, the James Bond films. And I think that they were all over the world, so y there was a see-the-world component to it. They were romantic, they were action-packed, and so I feel like I would want some kind of spy mission vacation that would take me to three or four exotic locales. But the thing is, I want the ninjas to be real, but I don't want them to win. So that's what, like, I definitely don't want the outcome to be death, but I want to feel like I'm actually in a firefight or a sword fight mm -hmm. or something. You want that adrenaline rush. I want the adrenaline rush. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, the goodies should always prevail as well. That's, um, yeah. that's, that's right. I am pure thing. of heart. And you leave, you, leave a, you leave a good energy. And we've got a couple of trips on the go at the moment that are kind of along those sorts of lines that uh, are very much, I mean, we've kidnapped a couple of clients before and we've not told them anything at all. Oh, There's no, nothing. Nothing going on in the itinerary that gave any indication. I'm talking very, very professional hits. Uh, <laughs> you know. Very professional. So, yeah, extremely professional, extremely credible uh, hits, yeah. And, you know, that can happen any, any, any time for the right sort of person, the right sort of time, if they're up for it. We've had a also stag, um, kind of like a stag kind of scenario where the guy's, the client is like the best man or something, and he wants to wants to mess around with his buddy. You know, they've been went to university together, they know each other really well, he needs something that's kind of really, pam. we want to do something here that's, this guy's going to remember for the rest of his life. Yeah. And, uh, I'll, yeah. start, I'll so, start saving my pennies and practicing exactly. my, my target shots. Need to be a trillionaire. Yeah. You're up, we've all And we've all got a bit of James Bond in us as well. Yeah. We, like to, we like to dress up like a bit of adventure, that's a little right. bit of mischief, and a bit of romance, of course, as well. That's, of course. Um, I don't know, man. Every idea in my head right now is a Game of Thrones episode, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, well, there it is. Can we? Can I just go on set? Hopefully, can you get not me on the set? red wedding. No. <laughs> Spoiler alert. And we and <laughs> and we all need to get dressed up more. That's for sure. Yeah, we right. need, costumes are a very very important thing. Anytime, break them out. Get the wigs out. Great. Well, Neil, thank you so much for being with us. Our guest today has been Neil Fox. He's the founder of Based on a True Story. Thanks again for coming by. And we'll all be sending you, I guess, our schedules so that we can <laughs> slot those trips in. Money oh. is no object. Yeah, right. And thanks to Laura and Sebastian for coming and talking. This is the first in a four-part series for us. So the next in the series is going to be coming up next week. It'll be Nicole Smith from Flightographer. And I uh, want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. You can also visit us at cntraveler.com and Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube. And we are at CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And please tweet at us and send feedback, um, review us on iTunes, all those good things. Why don't we go around and uh, tell everyone how they can reach us. Neil, why don't we start with you? What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? 
Um, you can go on the website, basedonatruestory.co.uk, and um, you just uh, yeah, hit the inquiries, and I'll give you a call, and we can have a have a bit of a chat. Yes, quite a chat. Sebastian? Uh, I'm at Seb Modak on Twitter and Instagram. Laura? I'm Laura underscore Redman on Instagram and Danon825 on Twitter. And I'm at Bradrick, and that's it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Neil. Thank you very much. <laughs>